Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works, here for another episode of the flagship show. My name is Tom Adams. I'm currently in a little bit of a Thanksgiving food coma, not really moving around much, overate, uh, didn't overdrink, thankfully, but you know the drill. It's always like this, this time of year. Today, I am joined once again by uh, BPW and BFW's Schnitzel. So, Schnitzel, how are you doing uh, halfway across the globe? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And I've been obviously following the Premier League right now, the games, and it's been pretty exciting. Man City was the best time, but I guess uh, I should turn it off now and focus more on the pod. Outside of that, uh, I wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you're having a good time out there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Did get to see some family I haven't seen uh, since this uh, this thing called coronavirus has showed up and basically ruined a lot of things for a, a long period of time. But it's it was a great end of the week, per se, you know, from Thursday to yesterday, uh, Saturday, because we're recording on a Sunday. And as you mentioned, there's been a lot of great matches on and you know, speaking of Bayern, since we are a Bayern Munich podcast and a Bayern Munich website, uh, we came off of a 1-0 win. And perhaps that scoreline schnitzel flatters Armenia Bielefeld just a little bit. Uh, I remember when I was doing my live tweet for this one, a commenter had, you know, made the comment that a lot of goalkeepers just really seem to turn up in world-class form when they come to the Allianz Arena where they play against Bayern. And that was pretty much the case for Stefan Ortega had it not been for him I think that scoreline could have easily been 5-0, 6-0 Bayern Munich. Lewandowski could have had a brace or a hat trick. But as we know, he didn't, uncharacteristically, I should say, he did not find the back of the net uh, yesterday against Bielefeld. But that kind of rounded out what was a kind of a tricky and a difficult stretch for Bayern. Right, Schnitzel? And so, I mean, we had a huge, huge debacle with a laundry list of players out and unavailable due to coronavirus quarantine some of which we saw return yesterday, Niklas Sula and Jamal Musiala. But Nagelsmann has really been forced these past three matches against Bielefeld, Dinamo Kiev in the Champions League, and a week before in the Bundesliga against Augsburg to really toy with the lineup out of necessity. And Schnitzel, I just want to get this, this pod started. Like, I want to hear, how do you think he's handled pretty much a razor-thin squad with not much selection? I think the situation with the squad is like highly unde- undesirable, especially considering so many important players like Joshua Kimmich. He's like one of the most important players at Bayern and he is the midfield general. Without him, it's obviously been pretty difficult. And there's also the absences of Jamal Muziala and Serge Gnabry a week ago and Chupa Moting and, you know, Niklas Zula, obviously, who was uh, in quarantine because of COVID-19. So it's been very, very difficult and the situation hasn't helped matters. All the controversy surrounding the unvaccinated players and, you know, all this drama of the pitch, it's just uh, been a difficult time. But I would say that outside the Augsburg game, which was pretty disappointing, considering Bayern lacked, you know, a punch and they just didn't look like they were interested in getting out that win. It was a very uncharacteristic performance from them. They just looked, you know, without fans. But uh, the, the most recent two fixtures, the one uh, against uh, Arminia Bielefeld and Dinamo Kiev, I think they were very professional wins. Uh, very, very dominant victories, especially the one against Armenia. Like you mentioned, the scoreline definitely should flatter them because Bayern dominated. Make no mistake. We should have scored six or more goals 
if not for Stefan Ortega. And this annoys me to no end, you know, goalkeepers turning up against Bayern in full form. It's almost like they will shit the bed against other teams and go out of their way to make sure that Bayern doesn't even score a single goal. But I guess that just uh, the owner should be on the Bayern attack to kind of come out of these situations. I like how Bayern handled it and Leroy Zane's goal was really good. So overall, Nagelsmann has done a pretty tidy job. It's nothing extraordinary, but considering his squad has been paper thin, it is pretty commendable. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, just when we were rattling off the players that were unavailable, I was just double checking as well, just to confirm against Dinamo Kiev and against uh, Armenia Bielefeld yesterday, Marcel Sabitzer was not available. Remember, Snitchell, it was his mistake that led to, I believe, Augsburg's second goal in the 2-1 loss last week. So a lot of people, when they saw the situation at hand with all the players that were unavailable, namely Joshua Kimmich, as you mentioned, who I think we can all agree is so much of a metronome and what makes Bayern's midfield tick. And I know I've said this countless times before on the podcast and in pieces I've written, but when that dual midfield pivot of Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich is torn apart uh, or not playing together for Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich does not play as well. They might still get a result as we've seen, as we've seen, excuse me, against uh, Kiev and Bielefeld, but it's just not quite the same as it is when those two are on the pitch together. And, we, you know, we thought that this would be a huge opportunity for Sabitzer with uh, Kimmich having to quarantine for at least two weeks minimum as an unvaccinated uh, person. And he really didn't do, you know, do himself any justice with that performance uh, away at Augsburg and was the reason, part of the reason, I should say, it's always a collective effort, but, you know, needlessly ceding possession uh, in his own third for Augsburg. Yeah, goal. I mean... Nothing, nothing pains me more than seeing Zabitzer being pointed out as responsible for a goal when I was like clamoring for this move. I was so excited when he joined and I really wanted him to do what he's been doing so long at RB Leipzig, which is being the midfield general, being so good at those long range shots, controlling the tempo of the game and basically playmaking from every single pocket of space available on the pitch. And, uh, Considering he's been so good for Austria lately, like he has been fantastic for them, it is kind of disappointing to, you know, see him unable to replicate those, uh, you know, uh, that form and, you know, all the, all the stuff that he does for uh, his country at Bayern Munich. And I can't really put my finger on what the problem is exactly, but I really want him to see, you know, uh, what's, what's wrong here, maybe take tips from Nagelsmann improve on his attributes and get back to like you know his peak form because we signed him for one reason and that is he's a top-notch midfielder and he can form a really good rotation with Goretzka and Kimmich but if he's going to be benched for the rest of the season then this signing just makes no sense in the end so I hope he proves all of us wrong and comes out all guns firing very soon. Yeah, it's almost as if with this situation, right, all the writing was on the wall. Okay, Sabitzer uh, and Tolisso, arguably, like this is the perfect opportunity for these two guys with with Kimmich being out for an extended period because, you know, we had an English week. We're going to need the rotations. We we don't want anybody running themselves into a muscular injury. And like I said, all the writing was on the wall for these two guys to step in. And I think that almost added pressure to Sabitzer. It was like, okay, this is now a perfect opportunity for you. So, you know, don't screw it up type of thing and you know he made one little mistake against Augsburg and of course he's made other mistakes as well so he might just mentally kind of be trying to play his way out of you know 
said onus, right? That onus is on him now to perform. He's been signed for several months, hasn't really impressed too much with what we've seen of him. And, you know, to kind of segue into what I want to talk about next, I think so much of it, too, is if you kind of look at it on paper, the amount of situations he's coming into, it's not necessarily always the same personnel, right? I mean, generally, it is a similar looking other 10 players, to what he's coming on to if he's a if it's a substitute situation or even if it's a a start a rare start that he gets based out of necessity as we've seen uh this past week and a half with the you know the coronavirus situation that uh, at Bayern Munich aka FC Hollywood uh but you know there's just uh I I agree with you it is very hard to put my finger on but I don't think it helps his case that he is coming on and playing with different personnel and so much of you know the midfield is also dictated and vice versa by what's just behind them schnitzel and as we've seen you know i think i need no name if he's listening to this now he might want to cover his ears because we do have to address julian nagelsmann's uh, tweaking from a back three to a back four i know i need no name is a, a staunch critic of the back three and hates it it's the bane of his existence but we've seen it in kind of a makeshift back three from bayern uh, in these past three matches augsburg uh, kiev and Bielefeld, and while I agree with him, it doesn't quite work in the same way at Bayern that it maybe did for him at RB Leipzig or in the past, if you'd ever use it at Hoffenheim. You know, just a lot of different personnel. And I think we can both agree that we're really hurting without Nicolas Sula, who has just, you know, unexpectedly become, uh, you know, a bona fide right back solution. But because he was unavailable, we had to have Benjamin Pavard in that kind of makeshift uh, right center back role. And, you know, whether it was Omar Richards, Tangi Nianzu, Luca Hernandez, Dio Upamecano, uh, Benjamin Pavard, we've seen slight variations. Alfonso Davies as well, you know, have to mention him, even though he's pretty much always a mainstay. He can he can play on the left of a back three, in my opinion, or as a left wing back. It's not much of an issue. But Schnitzel, what have you what have you made? What did you see that didn't work at all and was glaringly obvious? And what did you see that potentially was was food for thought moving forward that could work if it if it was a back three, uh, and you know keeping in mind the wing back situ- situation with that uh, Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, who have deputized uh, most often in these past three matches. So uh, the one thing that I need no name likes less than a back three is probably Bonjour Pavard on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Knew it. I knew it. So. Uh, I think it would be a relief to him and many others to see Nicolas Zula back and performing again for Bayern at the right-back position. And for me personally, I think, uh, you know, the recent fixtures, Nagelsmann hasn't had much of a choice, really. He has had to play Benjamin Pavard at right-back. And we all know that he is more defensively oriented than other other Bayern right-backs. And over the years, we've seen how he is uh, more of a defensive player and he doesn't venture forward as much. And he did try against Bielefeld, you know, a few times towards the end of the game, but it just isn't sufficient for many Bayern fans for, you know, that kind of lack of offensive output, as opposed to Davies on the other flank, who just surges up and down the flank and, you know, contributes so well. He's almost like a second winger, and he is quite possibly the best left back in the world right now. I cannot... Uh, I'm sorry, man. It's not Andy Robertson. <laughs> you know? Definitely, it's, it's, that's definitely a good debate, and I mean, yeah. it is it is hard to argue against either of those players. But you know, Davies 
certainly you could stick him wherever. It doesn't really matter where he is. He's going to make those recovery runs. He's going to get involved defensively. And Schnitzel, I think just listening to you talk, I think it was you um, on the podcast that we had done a few weeks back where you were basically saying for Didier Deschamps and the French national team, Pavard kind of plays there at the right back spot because French, the France, they don't really have many other options uh, to go with. And I think people often forget, too, that at Stuttgart, Pavard was predominantly a center back. You know, he didn't often venture yeah. uh, to the right wing back or the right back role. I would say that maybe he played on the right of a back three if Stuttgart had ever played that when he was there. But just as you had mentioned, kind of plays there because uh, Deschamps isn't really spoiled for choice at the right back position for France. And, you know, I think I do think people, even Bundesliga fans, have like a short memory of him most often playing center back at, at Stuttgart. Yeah, and I think uh, Bayern signed him, you know, putting keeping all that into consideration and making sure that, you know, they have someone who's very defensively stable as well at the right-back position. And if, in, if you can recall some of the games you played under Hansi Flick during the 2019-20 season, Benjamin Pavard was actually really good back then. And as a right-back, he did venture forward a lot of times. He did chip in with some really good crosses and hit some good goals on the volley, you know. He's pretty good at those things and uh he was also rock solid defensively so he kind of i think hansi flick's whole approach was based on having that balance in defense obviously it was a high pressing approach but pavak used to drop back when davies went forward so that it didn't get too lopsided on either flank and you know leave two defenders at the, at the center isolated so what happens basically is the game starts out as a back four and this happens also under nagelsmann so it is a back four in a sense. But what happens is when Davies ventures forward, and this happens against teams that are heavily, you know, counter-attacking football based, and the teams that like to sit back, soak up the pressure and hit you on the counter like Armenia Bielefeld. So when you have so much possession, right, you can go up the pitch, you can press, you can chip in with some crosses, make sure that the team can break. Because those sturdy defenses with their backs against the wall, they're very hard to penetrate without you know, those kinds of surges forward. And Davies does exactly that. Nagelsmann has given him free reign to go forward into the opposition third and try to dribble his way through the defense, which he did quite a few times against Bielefeld, registering two shots on target, which is pretty phenomenal for a left back. And uh, what happens is Luca Hernandez becomes like a temporary left back during that situation. Upamecano becomes the more central of the defenders and Pavak becomes a right centre-back. So this happens to make sure that, you know, Davies surging forward doesn't leave any gaping holes at the back and that the defence, you know, is ready for whatever is thrown at them. Because when you have players like Masayu Okugawa waiting for like the slightest of opportunities to go at Neuer and take a shot, you need the defence to be there ready to chip in with a tackle or with a block and interception. Yeah, and he did have a, a 1v1 against Neuer. It was Which flagged Neuer's, offside and yeah. he rolled uh, Luca Hernandez pretty easily. And Hernandez, as I had mentioned in the live tweets, I, I don't think he was aware at all that flag was going to go up. I think, no, no. I, I, on the contrary, believe that they tried to play the offside trap there because it was so clear. It's like two feet well, yeah, offside. In the, in, yeah. the, in the initial phase, but then when uh, Okugawa was right up against uh, Hernandez. He was obviously playing on. There were a few situations where they had a late whistle that I was very kind of infuriated with. I, sometimes I don't get that rule at all, uh, especially when it comes to protecting the players, especially the goalie if it's a 1v1 situation. But yeah, like in that particular phase I was referring to, he might they might have been going for the offside trap and 
you know, playing that high line that Bayern liked to play. But it was concerning how easily Hernandez got rolled uh, subsequently. But even still, Neuer the wall pulled off an amazing save. Cause yeah, that was, was spectacular. And it was a fantastic save. I guess every now and then the, you can give it to the defense to let the attackers go through. Because, I mean, we have to see some good saves from Neuer, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can't just, exactly. <laughs> you can't just call him the best goalkeeper in the world and not see him save a single shot in a game. Just, you know, he, he might as well just bring a tent, you know, some snacks and just sit there and watch a game unfold before him and, you know, be unbothered. Because, like, usually not forcing saves out of Neuer, it's, it's kind of a rare occurrence considering the high line that Bayern play and how opponents are usually not very comfortable with striking at Bayern from the get-go. But that being said, uh, coming back to my point, I think Nagelsmann's back four, which morphs into a back three hybrid, is a very fluid one, and that it is good for Bayern to be dynamic instead of being very rigid when it comes to tactics. And when Niklas Zula comes back into the fray, you will see you know, where Nagelsmann is going with all this, because now you have two offensive fullbacks and that kind of changes the scenario a bit because you have Nicolas Zulu, who also loves bombing forward. Zulinho, touche, yeah. <laughs> Zulinho stepovers. I just have flashbacks yeah. of him doing the Zidane uh, roulette move, you know, on the edge yeah. of the box. <laughs> and when you have someone of that size doing that, you just don't want to stop them. You know, you don't want to be that person. <laughs> so Zulu on one side, Fonzi on the other. It's going to be two fullbacks, you know, up the pitch, which is going to kind of, you know, put the onus on Upa Makano and Luca Hernandez to kind of be the only defenders on their side. And coming back to the point of the balance, I think Nagelsmann will also instruct Zula to defend. And that doesn't mean that it's a back three and it's blasphemy or whatever. It just means that Nagelsmann is trying to get the best out of the defense. And we did keep a clean sheet against Armenia, which is pretty commendable, considering Bayern are not very good at keeping clean sheets at all. So... I would like to see more clean sheets. And if this fluid defense means that, then so be it. Nagelsmann should be free to do whatever he wants as long as, you know, we keep getting the wins and keep getting the clean sheets. Absolutely. And it couldn't have come at a better time, as you mentioned, Niklas Sula coming on just at the end against Bielefeld. I believe he replaced uh, Luca Hernandez, who did receive a booking uh, somewhere in the... I've, I'm not even... I can't even remember if it was the first half or the second half now. Because I remember thinking to myself, think oh, he's really got to be careful now. It was it was in the second half. I think it was in the 87th minute. Because till then, he was having a spectacular game, actually. He was doing right. very well. Yes. So I was like, ah, bummer, man. Just had to get a yellow card to kind of tarnish that stellar game. Because otherwise, him and Upa, they were both so good. Yeah, I was getting my wires crossed, too. Because I always remember him going at uh, Andre Hahn against uh, Augsburg. And then we were all having a discussion on the Slack channel about Andre Hahn. <laughs> how I kind of oh, mentioned he's always that kind of player. But anyway, we don't want to di di digress too much, Nitzel, because we've got, you know, we've got a week off here. Not a week off, but a week of training. And then the big one lies large next Saturday. Der Klassiker in Dortmund. And then Schnitzel, it's pretty much English weeks to close out the Hinrunde after that. Barcelona in the Champions League, which is very odd to look at that matchup on paper and say, well, Nagelsmann can make a ton of rotations because obviously we've already clinched advancement to the round of 16 and clinched winning said group because Barcelona is in absolute shambles right now and are basically clawing for life to get out of that group. Uh, but then after that, just uh, a few days later, it's Mainz at the Allianz Arena away at Stuttgart uh, and then VFL Wolfsburg at the Allianz Arena to close out the Hinrunde. So this is a very, very crucial stretch. We're getting Niklas Sula back 
at a very crucial time for all those reasons that we just mentioned, you know, and Julian yeah. Augustman's back line. And hopefully we can get uh, Kimmich back in the fray. I mean, I can as I early can already, as a, yeah. oh, go ahead. Yeah, I can already hear the Holland Holland song at the back of my head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I know exactly <laughs> the one you're talking about. And I, like, yeah, I know that I, I think I shied away from asking fear the wall, like where it came from, but yeah, he's back. Got on the score sheet yesterday for Dortmund and air win at Wolfsburg. He's a machine. He is going to be yeah. forced to be reckoned with. And he always seems to turn up against, against Bayern, but he does also always seem to pick up an injury against Bayern. But obviously Nagelsmann, his coaching staff will have known that Holland is back. I, I don't even want to try like to attempt the uh, t- attempt to sing the song right now. <laughs> Dortmund's situation is kind of sad because like without Haaland they're basically toothless and it was so painful to watch them in the Champions League like one player gone yeah. and they're basically like what Europa League sides and Europa League hopefuls in fact they're not even favorites because that's how they looked against Sporting they were outplayed and yes they were you know getting red cards here and there the one against Ajax the one against Sporting and it was kind of needless uh, but Still, you're not supposed to be losing to such teams. I mean, you're Dortmund, and you have to at least make it to the quarterfinals. That's what the, that's what's expected of you if you, you know, at least don't face some other top sides. So, it's crazy how like missing one player has you know downgraded the team so massively in recent weeks. And it is just the kind of you know luck that Bayern has. You know, tells you the whole story right before the classical Haaland is back, and you know he's ready to pounce on the Bayern defense and. I'm just really hoping, you know, for goodness sake, that the defense is able to pull this one off because it's going to be a very tough battle. And speaking of that, with all the matches I just mentioned, so Barcelona kind of sticks out as that one match where Nagelsmann can perhaps make some rotations. But no, I for, think for that, I believe I, I think believe he's going to go for it. I think he's going to go yeah, for it. I believe we have to get out the win no matter what, and it has to be because this could be a very historic thing. I'm not saying that I want Barcelona in the Europa League. But they've never been there, right, in a long time. So if it would be Bayern, yeah, Bayern's going to be the ones creating history here. And since Gerard Piquet and a few other of Barca's players went, went on to say that, you know, we're going there to win and those kinds of things, it would kind of be, you know, firstly, disrespecting the opponent if you field a very weak side, you know, with a lot of rotation. And second, mm-hmm. it's against the spirit of the game, especially Bayern's game, when you want to go there, attack, get every single win, especially if you can finish the group stage with six wins. And definitely, I'm fingers crossed for the but 11 that, record, that, Those you know. English weeks, I mean, Dortmund, Stuttgart, Mainz, Wolfsburg, that is a tough schedule. So yeah, I, I I'll pose this question to you. So if you're a Nagelsmann, is, assuming they're all available and, you know, keeping in mind that some of those games, some of those games are just three, four days after one another, the English weeks, if you're a Nagelsmann, if they're fit, every match, are you going Davies, Luka, Upamakano, Nicolas Sula, right across. In the so against against Dortmund, Zula definitely starts. It's going to be Lucas and Upamakano at the back. I'm really, actually, I'm really scared of Upa versus Haaland. That battle, I just don't want to see it because Upa is not exactly excellent against you know the heavy set strikers. The more you know, physical uh, against okay. physical strikers. Yeah, and Haaland is more on the physical side. So it's going to be very interesting. But I think Luca Hernandez has been brilliant against Dortmund, you know, in recent times. And one game that comes to mind is the Super Cup game, the 3-1 victory, where he was really, really good. So I'm hoping that 
he goes with Davies, Luca Hernandez, Upamecano, and uh, Zula against Dortmund and Barcelona, both games. And against Mainz, I know Mainz are a very good side and they are super, like massively underestimated in the Bundesliga. That's basically almost every other Bundesliga side that's not in the top 10. Like they, you know, they just kind of, they, they might lose games sometimes, but you never know. Teams like Stuttgart, for example, they might lose games, but they have so much, so many threats, so many amazing players. And because of fantasy, you might also be familiar with some of them, you know, Borna Zosa, for instance. Such yes. a differential player, right? Burkhardt. I had and, yeah, Jonathan Burkhardt. Yeah, Jonathan Burkhardt. For his good yeah. run of form, which ended up He's Friday, fantastic. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's one for the future. You know, he's definitely a player to keep your eyes on, uh, especially at that attacking midfield role, especially for Germany. He could be great. So that being said, I would rotate, probably bring in Pavard. I'm sorry, I need no name. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's not going to be Bounazar, it has to be Benjamin Pavard. We don't have any other options. So, <laughs> and, and I know... I need no name would rather roll into a ball and, you know, <laughs> become a traffic cone or something for Bayern, Dan Sibunazar on the pitch. He might so, even just say, hell, put Thomas Miller back there. because Yeah, <laughs> make Thomas Miller right back, but just don't make Bunazar step on the pitch, man. Seriously, <laughs> that is the general consensus, I think, at this point. So, Benjamin Pava, and maybe bring in Tongi Nyonzu, one of those games, because when is he going to learn if he never gets the opportunity to start? He yeah. is such a gem, and we don't want him leaving just because he didn't get enough game time. Because that would be a shame. He is PSG's. He was PSG's best young talent when we got him. You know, uh, back I think it was uh, the summer of 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and he was really really you know promising. So I think he should get a start for at least a substitute appearance in one of these games. And Omar Richards, I want him to start against Mainz because. He's solid, man. He yeah. is a very good backup. I don't think, a, despite us losing against Augsburg, I don't necessarily think he was he was bad. You know, I, I would say maybe maybe average. I think we've already discussed earlier that the problems were kind of elsewhere, but uh, that collective performance just wasn't good enough. But Nagelsmann will have to make those tough decisions. Knock on wood. I am actually knocking, if you can hear that, because I am at a wooden <laughs> desk. Knock on wood. No other coronavirus situations pop up where players have to quarantine during this cr- crucial stretch and knock on wood, you know, that uh, nobody picks up a serious injury. But if they do happen, Nagelsmann will have to deal with it and we'll have to, to move on and, you know, take everything on the chin and, and move with it. But, you know, yeah. I just kind of wanted to, uh, unless you had something to add to that, I was going to say, we who said, close. who said being a buying coach is easy, yeah. but there's, nobody. there's one trick. There's one trick Nagelsmann can use and it will always make him a winner. And that is, Read Bavarian football works regularly. Yes, yes. That is it. <laughs> if he that doesn't already key. do that, or if he doesn't already have uh, Brazo doing that, or yeah, know, somebody definitely uh, it he gets needs to. to read it and, he needs to keep to someone. He needs to keep someone from his assistant uh, uh, team or from his coaching staff only for reading each one of our articles. You know, yes. give him that constant input. Just you know, influences tactics. Just take you know our opinions, our suggestions, and put them into practice. And that is a winning formula. <laughs> need a success. Fine coach. And yes. we do we yeah. do have to we do have to give I need no name a shout out for correctly, I think twice in a row, picking predicting the correct spot on starting eleven and uh, beating builds to the punch, I believe. I think they had gotten it slightly off both weeks and he had gotten it correctly. So uh milestone moments for for BFW. Rarely does it happen where two for weeks sure. in a row we beat all the major tabloids, but 
Schnitzel, uh, to end this, we kind of got to address the, uh, the massive elephant in the room. You know, we're recording on a Sunday uh, tomorrow. Big, big, big day for a lot of football fans. Uh, laden with controversy, we should say, but we're going to find out who the Ballon d'Or winner is. And obviously, as we know, Lewandowski is one of the top candidates in addition to Lionel Messi and that Karim Benzema. Reports have come out, supposed leaks, and I'm using air quotes, saying that uh, the order was Lionel Messi, Benzema, Lewandowski. Obviously, we all think that's absolute hogwash. We don't want to believe it, but <laughs> we're going to find out tomorrow. So, Schnitzel, I, I guess... I don't even know like what yeah, would be the there, uh, specific question to ask, but I just want to hear there isn't your anything, thoughts on this. Yeah, there isn't anything that hasn't already been said, I guess. And everyone knows what I'm going to say, and that is there is literally just one person that deserves it. And please don't give me that messy crap. Benzema shouldn't even be in the top five, in my opinion. Salah was better than Benzema. And Salah has a better shot at making the top five than Benzema. Benzema has been good for like, what, like has been in really good form for two months. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't I, I would say I, for two months. I yeah. don't watch a lot of La Liga. I will say to, to Messi's credit, I'm always someone who's been in team Messi when the argument comes up versus uh, peak Messi versus peak Ronaldo. And it, I guess objectively it is tough because for a player who has such, uh, you know, electric seasons year in and year out, uh, maybe we're a little bit desensitized you know, to the fact that he may have had a lesser season or a lesser year, obviously, because that's how this, this is judged year over year or by year, I should say. Um, so year over year, he might not have had as good of a, of a year as he did the previous years and what we were used to in his, the peak of his career. But even still, if the, the thing I would pose to Lewandowski and his argument is like, there's like nothing more he could uh, possibly do as a striker to give himself a chance of, of winning uh, the trophy. and Let me tell you this. Just... If, if Messi and Ronaldo, if either one of them had Lewandowski's stats, you know, the past two years, they would, be, they would have been awarded the Ballon d'Or in 2020, number one. It wouldn't even have been cancelled. That's my opinion. And I think the 2021 Ballon d'Or would also undoubtedly go to one of those players if they had the same stats. Lewandowski um, yeah, is course. just constantly underrated season after season. They pick on, you know, it's just him not having as massive a fan base as the other two. Maybe, maybe just doesn't get as much recognition. He's been so, so good. I mean, the most goals, the most goals plus assists per 90 and overall, you know, throughout the entire year and the past season. And he's been so good for a Poland side that would struggle in a championship without him. Like, they would struggle in the English Championship, and I'm not exaggerating. They're really bad if you remove Lewandowski out of the equation. So there's not much more he can. There isn't much he can do aside from you know what he's already doing right now. And I think there is no one else who deserves the award more than him. He's already been robbed in 2020, and I know that France football loves robbing Bayern of Ballon d'Ors. You know, Franck Ribéry 2013, Manuel Neuer 2014. I could just go on and on. And this kind of feels really bad in a, in a way because those are players who absolutely deserve the award. But you cannot have Lewandowski miss out on this one. Like he absolutely deserves it. And nobody else, uh, you know, has had as big a claim. I mean, what has Messi done the past four months? Could you remind me, please? Like maybe the past three months? Uh, I think he scored like maybe two goals in the Champions League and one in, in Ligue 1. 
Oh wow, one golden league match. Wow, oh, that's he, a stellar he record. Won yeah. the the uh, Copa America. You know, finally got his his uh, international trophy. That yeah, you know, it's I like just... a competition that happens once every two years, and you're basically the only team outside Brazil that has a legitimate, you know, shot at winning it. And you can start that against Bolivia and Peru or whatever, you know. Just, just I mean, compared to Europe. and the euros it's not even a debate on which competition is better and it's not really imagine levandowski in germany yeah no, i like, i was even going to say like imagine if levandowski had gone to like real madrid or you know you can't say loyalty because messi has been with barcelona forever but it's like as soon as like the situation got really really bad he left and it seems like uh you know ronaldo had done the same thing at juventus and when the situation didn't suit himself personally Uh, it's he left madrid for uh, juventus right and now he's left juventus not quite working out exactly how he planned at manchester united though he is uh, scoring plenty of goals in the champions league and keeping them afloat uh, arguably i think they have one of the weakest groups in the competition itself but you know ronaldo's really not in the discussion this time around it's it's really right just lewandowski messi and uh, benzema but you know i i didn't mean no. to cut you off there but like no, there's just, no benzema in there You know, imagine oh. if Lewandowski, if he had said, "Okay, I don't, I see something where I think that, you know, something in the Bayern squad is going to prevent me from having an amazing season, so I'm going to try and get a transfer and I'm going to go somewhere else." Not to say that's exactly how it goes down with those other guys, but you know, they did make those moves and they did wind up going into. I mean, maybe not for Ronaldo, Juventus to Man U, but every time before, wind up going into better situations than they were in. Lewandowski stayed back sense. and he made Bayern a Champions League winner and that's what defines him as a player he wins and uh, also please don't mention Benzema in the top 3 again please don't do that <laughs> hey I'm i mean mess uh, message over messenger man i'm just i'm just reading can, what was reported you can do Mo Salah like <laughs> i'm talking about personal opinions here you oh, can man. go Mo Salah in the top top 3 you can even go Jorginho because i mean yes he isn't the best player in either of his teams but like he did went to competitions i would say angola conte is up there you know top 5 possibly and uh, outside of that even erling haaland for how well he's done the past two or three seasons yeah so yeah. uh probably kylian mbappe for you know what he's doing at psg is i mean there's a lot of players outside that top 2 that we can you know push up and down the top 5 but for me lewandowski is just number 1 there should be no debate about it and Frankly speaking, if France football messed this one up, I think there's going to be another French revolution, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like frankly speaking, I just don't see any other outcome that benefits their image, in fact, because it's going to be a huge black spot on the entire thing because how do you rob a player who is so and this you know, what I another thing I don't understand about the Ballon d'Or is that isn't it awarded for like a calendar year? Yes. Then yes, why is there a confusion? Always a confusion between a season, the calendar year, and why does it always end prematurely? So why did the voting stop in October the twenty fourth? Shouldn't they have waited it out maybe till the end of November and considered everything in there? And not just that. Uh, well, if you're saying calendar year, right? Yeah. Look at the stats from January all the way to October the twenty fourth. That includes one and a half, or at least uh, two months of the new season, right? Yes. And who has been the best player in the new season? Lewandowski. Yep. It's not even it, it, a toddler would answer that correctly. So, 
if if that's the case and if that's how it's been the past year how is this a debate is what i don't understand because yes you have won the copa america you have been the top scorer in the copa and all that but look at your performances the entire year and what kind of impact you've made on all the teams you've played in and you see a clear winner it's not a question for me so i know there's a lot of lewandowski hype but i really really want to see him get the award tomorrow in the podium anyone else and i'll be you know sitting in the corner of my room just crying <laughs> fretting i'll probably throw a few things around you know break a few vases or whatever but it would be really really demoralizing if that happened i mean let's face it too the man cleans up immaculately well i mean do you know anyone who pulls off a tuxedo better than lewandowski no he, he pretty he, much looks like sterling archer a real life version he, of sterling archer he should be like the the next james bond maybe you know he, he probably could be he probably yeah. could be. He would have to take breaks to eat dessert before dinner, but he could pull it off. And for I don't sure. know if his wife Anna would let him have martinis as often as James Bond does, but <laughs> perhaps uh, without alcohol, you could do like uh, virgin martinis or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you could always just, you know, pose for the drink to be a martini, but not really, you know. They do that a lot in cinema. It's not really a big thing. There you, know? you go. I think, I mean... <laughs> If Lewandowski's publicity team is listening right now, I mean, we're just giving them idea after idea. And yeah. uh, hopefully they give us credit if any, and if any of this stuff we just mentioned winds up transpiring because just million-dollar ideas right there. If that actually happens, then I'll take you out, you know, somewhere for dinner. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, this will be crazy if that actually happens, yeah. Yeah, we can, we can uh, get, like, all types of cuisines, like, to represent every writer from BFW, uh, absolutely so get yeah. stuff from like the u.s from india from germany from yeah, everywhere and, in between marcus for those, he could probably um, give us some kind of a swedish dish i don't even know yes. what a swedish dish would be but something <laughs> something tasty i would i would surmise yeah and uh for all the regular readers of bfw listening out there if we do that we'll make sure to you know write an article about it put some pictures in there you know engage you with some content because you know we want all of you to take part in you know our celebrations of course, of course. Well, Schnitzel, I, I think we all agree. Lewandowski has to get it. If not, France football loses all credibility, the shreds of credibility that they do have left. And, you know, unless you have any other closing comments on that, I think that's a good place to wrap up this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Just want to thank everyone for listening again. Uh, I know that we're quite the dynamic duo and you're probably massive fans of us. So we appreciate it. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Megaphone, Stitcher, whatever uh, platform you use to listen to. If there's an intergalactic platform you use, definitely let me know. I, I want to know if the uh, the aliens are listening to us. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for the you know for the day when I get a signal or a message from some alien, <laughs> uh, you know, probably uh, alien community telling us you know how much they enjoy their podcasts. I, and have- I hope so yeah. much hope that that happens and i really <laughs> want to and i find out about some streaming platform from like you know a far off galaxy which yeah would be, which would be absolutely amazing uh but again uh be sure to like rate and subscribe on all those platforms which you just mentioned if you have one from outer space that you know of please let us know uh be sure to follow us at bavarian fb works on twitter try to convince schnitzel to get a twitter himself follow myself at tommy adam 71 even though i don't really ever use that because i'm always on the bfw uh twitter account running things there but until next time which will probably be a preview for dare classiker next saturday auf wiedersehen